0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Keith Crosby, Out of My Mind. This is podcast 017, podcast 17, where we have a biblical conversation about the crazy world in which we live. Once again, we're starting a new season, season three, The Christian, Christ, and the Culture. Here, we look to God's word to help us make sense of our existence because the Bible has something to say about every inch of thread that makes up the fabric of our being. So join us over the next 20 to 25 minutes or so as we provide you a bird's-eye view perspective of a complex issue confronting our culture, the church, and you, applying God's Word to make sense of it all. At the end of the podcast, we'll point you to additional resources for further study, just in case you'd like to dig in a little bit deeper. In the meantime, let's get started. This is podcast 17. It's entitled Sanctuary Cities, Preserving and Protecting
1: Your Family's Faith. All right. So sanctuary cities, uh, kind of almost going off of what we talked about last week with uh, illegal aliens.
0: Yeah, it is. Last week I used the metaphor illegal aliens as a metaphor for God's command in First Peter 1 to live as aliens and strangers during our time here on earth as Christians. The passage talks about, in First Peter 2, I urge you as aliens and strangers to keep your conduct among the Gentiles excellent. So that when they slander you, they would also have the opportunity to give glory to God in the day of visitation. And what that means is this basically, we want to live well. We want to have an attractive witness, an attractive testimony, not a repulsive one. And just as an alien or a refugee or a stranger from another country, maybe in this country illegally, is careful to conduct himself or herself without drawing unwanted attention, Uh, Maybe they lack legal protection as citizens or whatever. Christians, likewise, are to conduct themselves with care. And that's where the whole illegal alien metaphor uh, comes in. As we discussed last time, illegal aliens typically stay close to one another. They stay within their own community, for the most part, out of caution, and they, they, they feel protected. And in today's secular culture, I think Christians would do well to do the same. And just as illegal aliens form wise and intentional relationships within their culture, within their communities, they form selective relationships outside of the communities. And once again, I think this is a good practice for Christians. Now, last week, we spoke of the ill-informed, professing Christian who, through poorly chosen words, makes rash statements that calls undue attention to himself, like, oh, I'm a bigot and a racist and a homophobe because I'm a Christian, trying to be sarcastic. And what he does is he lives down to the cultural caricature of a Christian rather than living up to the excellent testimony of a Christ follower. So to review, we should kind of live out our faith in an attractive way as opposed to a repulsive way. And in so doing, we return pretty much to our first century roots, uh, the roots of those who suffered uh, Roman persecution. Uh, they were admired by some, well thought of by others, because their actions, their testimony, their witness in that day refuted the stereotype. Christians should do this today. They should refute the stereotypes. And so that just like last week, we used that illegal alien metaphor we continue to do that today with the idea of sanctuary cities. The difference being, of course, in terms of sanctuary cities and that today's progressive culture, indeed, even among so-called progressive Christians, sanctuary cities represent a place for people to violate the law, to escape justice rather than to obey it. To be clear and accurate, in the Old Testament, sanctuary cities, also called cities of refuge, were a means of embracing justice, not avoiding or evading it. The cities were created and supplied to accommodate those accused of accidental manslaughter. The idea was they'd have a place of refuge and safety until their case could be adjudicated, and while they waited for the elders of the community to solve the problem according to Torah, they could rest and, uh, and prepare for the trial ahead. The simplest explanation of a city of refuge or a sanctuary city in the Bible I think, is found in Joshua 9, 1 through 21. And when you look at these uh, bogus sanctuary cities today, I think listeners should spend some time in God's Word understanding the difference between a true sanctuary city and a contrived one.
1: Okay, so now maybe just bring us into today's discussion on how these sanctuary cities apply to us as Christians.
0: Okay, Mark, it's like this— As Christians, and I mean real Christians, under societal pressure, we're forced to live more and more as aliens and strangers in a Christ-hostile society. And so believers are going to need something like our own cities of refuge to heal, to refresh, or to rest, places of peace to recharge their minds and souls, cities of refuge, so to speak, like sanctuary cities.
1: So what you're saying is that sanctuary cities are really a place where Christians can go and be refreshed to grow. Um, almost as a sanctuary, so to speak, um, from the society, from the culture that doesn't understand them and really in some areas doesn't really want to understand them.
0: Or just persecutes them. That's right, Mark. Uh, sanctuary City, a city of refuge, is just a, uh, a word picture of a place for peace in the midst of the storm, to collect our thoughts, to prepare to grow spiritually, to refresh. In fact, these are to be like places of learning where we equip ourselves and others in our increasingly Christian hostile world without being of this world. They are like places where we can go to cultivate our relationship with Christ and we can prepare and shepherd those whom we love to do the same thing so that they can cope and thrive and not merely survive in this confusing world in which we live. So it's a place to grow so that we can meet or face the challenges that this world throws at us, prepared to answer the tough questions and to understand that there are indeed legitimately tough questions to be answered. And these are places where we can learn and grow and share in our struggles and encourage one another. We can be with our family, our children, or our Christian friends.
1: Yeah, I think that makes a ton of sense. Um, The culture, it can definitely... Uh, feel like it beats us down at times, and so having a place where, as Christians, we can go and feel safe and feel protected, I think is really important.
0: Yeah, and let me expand on the idea a little bit. Not just places to recover, but also places to invite select outsiders into our so-called alien culture. These are places of refuge where we can welcome in others, outsiders, and answer the questions that they have. These might include people that we evangelize who we've met are people we are going to pre-evangelize.
1: Okay, so pre-evangelism, that's uh, almost a new term for me. I think I know what you're saying there. But just to be clear, you're referring to, um, as far as pre-evangelism goes, it's not necessarily the, let me just hand you the gospel right now. It's the almost building of relationship in order to gain that standing to give them the gospel.
0: That's right, Mark. You know, t- a lot of times today when we think of evangelism, we think of so-called uh, confrontational evangelism, where we tell somebody, God has a wonderful plan for your life, or something like that, or we, or we give them a tract, or, you know, we just kind of spring things on them like a sales presentation— And this pre-evangelism is like you observed, is more like, I say this word, relational evangelism. I want to be careful of the the terminology. You know, relationship evangelism used to be a term where there was more relationship and no evangelism. But what we're doing is building and growing our relationship with an individual so that we can talk to them about the Lord. You know, we're coming into a season where we have to be on the lookout for truth seekers. You know, there was the old seeker-sensitive church where people would come into the church and say, well, what's in it for me? But what we want is not consumers, but we want to be on the lookout. We want to have our antennae, our radar up for truth-seekers whom we're able to identify and reach out to in our culture. They are out there. You might meet them at work. You could meet them on the ball field or somewhere. Shoot, they might even approach you as they see your good works and want to know how it is that you're giving glory to God in heaven under a specific set of circumstances. And so we need to identify and invite them into our places of refuge so that we can talk to them and listen to them and relate to them without distraction, without interruption, or even sometimes uh, hostile intervention. I remember one time I was talking to somebody at a coffee shop, and this person overheard us, and they got a little hostile. Or you might be in the workplace talking about Christ, and these people may have questions, but they're worried about the diversity, inclusion, and equity officers in the uh, diversity department of their their company. They don't feel comfortable talking to you there. And so to be clear, when I say a sanctuary city or a place of refuge— I'm not advocating that we cloister ourselves in Christian gated communities, but we set aside time and space in our lives, places in our lives where we can talk to people about spiritual matters, talk to our kids, our spouses, our siblings, somebody. I'm sort of talking about spiritual staging areas, spiritual training areas, places of spiritual rest and recreation. To use military terminology, it might be a forward operating base. A forward operating base is a place where they have equipment, where they have supplies, they have hospitals, they have logistical things, and they can stage strategic or tactical operations out of them. It's just another way to look at sanctuary cities. Think of it as a place of refuge where Christians engaged in kingdom work can prepare to support strategic goals and objectives of spiritual warfare for the glory of God, the good of others, and our own growth. So I don't want to get carried away with our terminology. I don't want to become confusing. But these forward operating bases, these sanctuary cities, can take a lot of different shapes and forms and sizes, and they serve many spiritual purposes. Those who know their New Testaments may remember reading in Acts about Paul renting the Hall of Tyrannus. Now, Hall of Tyrannus sounds a little threatening, I know. But in Acts, the Apostle Paul rented the hall to explain the faith and to answer questions and to conduct seminars and lectures because he was canceled in the synagogues. He was shut out. And in recent times, in the uh, 1960s, 70s, and 80s, Czechoslovakian Christians in what is now the Czech Republic brought in lecturers to speak to people, outside speakers, even college professors, to give a, a Christian worldview to Christians who might have been shut out of university education because of what was the equivalent of their cancel culture at the time. And recently, even in our own church, we've had, you know, these virtual seminars that we invited the outside world into. You know, we had Neil Shenvey and Vodi Bacham, and we're going to have Monica Dusen in January. And even our podcast is a sanctuary city of its own where you can put an earbud on or sit in your car. It's, it's a safe space to grow spiritually. And so maybe you can't rent a hall, like a hall of Tyrannus due to COVID, but you can maybe open up your home to other people. You can practice hospitality, maybe even share a meal with a truth seeker or a disciple. And and this is how churches can encourage their people to become more active in ministry, to be more active in evangelism and more active in spiritual growth. Do you remember, and maybe this was before your time because I'm getting to be an old guy, something called a progressive dinner?
1: Oh, no, man. I remember those. Those are the youth group staple, especially uh, as I was growing up in youth groups. So those are basically the dinner model where you go to from house to house to house having like each course of the, yeah. of the following meal.
0: That's it, that's it. On a given night, you could have different courses in each house. In the same way, using the sanctuary city model, this place of refuge model, you could have a series of small groups meeting, each discussing a different topic with a different discussion leader and rotate from house to house and you can school an entire congregation that way. You could school an entire youth group that way. And these are spiritual safe spaces that isolate us or insulate us from the storms of life while we learn in the midst of this hectic culture. And so you could host a small group discussion and wrestle with your fellow Christians through an issue while equipping and sharing with one another. It's like ironing, sharpening, iron. Let me speak a moment about your home as a sanctuary city, or a place of refuge, or a Ford operating base.
1: Yeah, so let's talk about that a little bit because uh, you know there's definitely probably people with homes who everybody in the family is not saved. They, you know, maybe they have younger kids, things like that. How do how do these families kind of fit into this sanctuary city model?
0: Well, that's a great question, Mark. Your home has to be the primary sanctuary city. And you may have a child who is growing in the Lord, who's saved. You may have a child who is wrestling with the faith. And you may have a child who's just an outright unbeliever. But what you get to do is to pour into them, uh, involve them, engage them, indoctrinate them, inoculate them, talk about what God's Word says about an issue. While you have their undivided attention and, there's, and they're not out and about, they're home with you. And you can do this because you want to protect them. You want to preserve their faith, if possible, against a state that is ramming uh, K through 12th grade an ideology down their throats that is hostile to Christianity. You want to protect them against the junior college or the community college or the university. And you need to start young. Sure, they may not be a Christian. They may not be a Christ follower. Nevertheless, involving them in some way is a way to engage them. And so your home might be and has to be a city of refuge for... From this world in which Christianity might not only just be taught, but as the saying goes, caught.
1: So how do we do this? What are maybe some baby steps, some, some just easy steps for us to figure out how to do this, how to start transforming our home into this sanctuary? You must think
0: of yourself as your son or daughters, as your loved one's spiritual teacher. I mean, others can help you do this. They can come alongside you, but you've got to seize the initiative. And you can. It's not difficult. It just requires thought and planning. And you may not see yourself as a great teacher or a theologian, but every Christian, as a disciple of Christ, is a theologian at some level and a teacher at some level. So, what can you do in your own imperfect and frustrating way as a parent of young people? Live humbly before them, admit your flaws, admit your faults, ask for prayer ask for forgiveness, pray in front of them, pray with them, ask them to sit with you in times of prayer, ask them to pray, share your testimony with them. And you can also, and this is critical because a a sanctuary city is for more than just you and your family, you can use hospitality to expose them to other Christian people and other Christian within their own age group, Christian peers. You have to think it through. Don't get lazy about this. Be deliberate. Be intentional. Have a strategy employ action steps, and again, do stuff. It might be messy at first, but so what? Life is messy. Make your house a place of prayer. Make your house a a hub of spiritual activity. Invite and evangelize their unsaved friends. Now, this may turn some of their unsaved friends off, but I would submit to you, the fewer unsaved friends they have, the better in these troubled times. Think of a peer contagion. You know, this whole COVID thing, people catch the virus, allegedly, from their friends. Your unsaved children or your saved children can pick up bad habits from their unsaved friends. And so you want to socialize them with as many Christians and Christian peers as you can. And when you evangelize their unsaved friends, you may chase some of them off. That's okay. You want to build your home around a community of faith to indoctrinate and inoculate your loved ones, your kids, your grandkids, your siblings, your friends, your spouse. And naturally, the church premises part of that community and part of that process, but your home is just as important. I mean, you can use all kinds of locations, the church, your home, the so-called home of Tyrannus, a third place where you meet or a hall or something like that. But you need to involve those in your home. I mean, do you have a personal ministry? Involve them in that. If you don't have a personal ministry, start one or let your son or daughter join you in handing out bulletins at church or serving in the angel tree ministry. It's Christmas time. Uh, you know, when I visited Russia and taught in the former Soviet Union, Christians went out into the world to make a living, but they came back into the home. And they and their family members did the same things too, but their primary social network was ordered around the church and the community of faith. And that community, was a place of refuge, in a building, in their home, or elsewhere. And like illegal aliens in the last podcast, Russian Christians conducted themselves carefully without attracting undue attention to themselves and trying to live out their faith in a way that brought glory to God and earned the respect of those around them to the to the point that their closest contacts, their most intimate relations at work, were drawn to them and their closest confidants and friends were in the church. And so they were careful, and they were cautious. They made contact with outsiders, but they sought to bring the outsiders inside their city of refuge to talk to them in the peace and quiet of their own homes. And 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 so they invited those who were sincerely interested into their sanctuary city. And that's how converts are made. Make no mistake, that's how disciples are made. Disciples were made in the early church and in places like Eastern Europe or China in the same manner. You know, you read in Acts chapter 2 about them going house to house, talking about the disciples teaching, praying, enjoying meals together. And then they emerged from these forward operating bases, these sanctuaries, and they went out refreshed, equipped, intact, ready, willing, and able to meet the world, to face the world, and to engage the enemy, you might say. Their faith, their countenance, and their conduct was attractive because of this, these places of refreshment. And you have to remember, they added 3,000 souls to the church in one day. So, so they, we're not talking about house churches. They, ha- they all worshipped at the temple, 3,000 souls plus plus. But they went into their homes as places of refreshment, places of mutual encouragement, thinking through the disciples' teaching, safe spaces
1: So what are we talking about uh, as we talk about sanctuary cities, these safe spaces? Are they just safe spaces where we can go and focus on God? That seems pretty simple.
0: Well, you know, Mark, it is simple. It's simple in concept, but not necessarily in practice, because when you have a bunch of family members running around loose— There are scheduling issues, and often we're too busy doing nothing of consequence to meet and talk about spiritual matters. And so for you and your family, it's a lot like Deuteronomy 6. Teach them when they rise up in the morning. Teach them when they lay down at night as they walk along the road. You have these teachable moments that we have to seize. And so we have to make time, time to turn off the smartphones, time to shut down the technology, time to sit face-to-face and to discuss the struggles and challenges of life, the goodness of God, and how to approach things biblically and to share with them the experiences that you've had as you struggled to work out your faith. And this works for evangelism. This works for marriage and family and child raising and hospitality. And this extends outwardly and inwardly from a church building to a banquet hall to a meeting room to your own hall of Tyrannus if it's your home. These are sanctuary places where we recharge, retool, refresh, and, and prepare ourselves and also prepare and retool others. These are places where we learn to grow in community, cut off from threats, interruptions, and the distractions of the outside world. That is the sanctuary city metaphor. Places where we invest in ourselves and in others for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of the lost. And and these are distraction-free zones, places of sanctification. And that requires some stability in terms of schedule and housing and, and, and places and places things. You have to establish a time. You have to establish a place. You have to be consistent. And you have a place to get away from the culture and and a culture to get away to. And we need these sanctuary cities. We need these forward operating bases so that we as believers, we as a church family, we as a family can find time and space to encourage and comfort one another as well as to refresh one another.
1: So I think almost kind of to sum up here as we get ready to close, uh, it sounds like what you're saying is these sanctuary cities need to start in the home. That's that's where they begin is the home. And then there's probably other households that kind of get brought in, probably household other households from your church, um, and and it grows from there. Is that, uh, is that a good summation?
0: Yeah, that's pretty much it. Your home is definitely the primary place of refuge, and it goes beyond that, because that's where the body of Christ metaphor comes in throughout the New Testament. It's a spiritual, social network of interconnected faith communities based in households, a community in the truest sense Built around the local church. Because everyone has a different skill or gift or ability, and by relating different households to one another, different families to one another, whether it's small groups or a youth group or whatever it is, you've got dedicated times and spaces in your home, just like you have dedicated times to do your work during the week. And so, in so doing, you preserve yourself and you preserve others and save others. But real Christian community requires peer involvement, and so it goes beyond just your household. And it may begin slowly, and you have to build this up incrementally, but you know what happens in the long run? As we do this year after year, we gradually change our communities one soul at a time with the message of Jesus Christ because we've decided to protect, first and foremost, time with our family, time with fellow Christians, time with those whom we say we love.
1: So when you say those whom we say we love... Do you want to kind of clear that phrase up a little bit it's it's a little bit ambiguous because we say we love a lot of people
0: well it's like this and i kind of threw that in at the end for just this reason if you say you love your family then you'll provide for them in this way if you're too busy or too distracted or too disinterested in your family's spiritual well-being it will be hard to take care of the spiritual well-being of others because if you don't love the ones in your own household what does that say really if they're not a priority What does that mean? And so because we love God and love our neighbor, it starts with those closest to us, those whom we say we love, our spouses, our children, our our close relations. And we all need time away from the culture, insulated from the culture, to think, to pray, to grow, to share, to encourage, to edify, and to equip. Well, it looks like time's up. Thanks for listening, everyone. Mark and I will see you next Wednesday. If you'd like further resources, visit us at www.gracetoliveradio.org and click the podcast resource button if you'd like more. If you'd like to ask me a question, I'd love to hear from you. You can email me at keith@hillside.org. At you can learn more about Hillside Church at www.hillside.org forward slash services if you want to watch our worship services online. You can visit us for indoor and outdoor worship at 9 o'clock indoors, at 10.45 indoors, and at 12.15 outdoors at the same website, you can find this information. Before we go, if you're listening on iTunes or Spotify or Google Podcast or Stitcher or Apple Podcasts, please share and give us a good rating. Share us with your friends so that we can reach more people for Christ. And I just want to say, you know, we talked about a big announcement. We're going to start interviewing uh, notable people in Christian circles Uh, We call it Interview Friday. That will start in January. And we're also going to do a 15 to 20-minute session on Thursdays called Theological Thursday, where Mark and I will take on a theological issue for 15 or 20 minutes and hopefully clarify it for you. So we want to serve you better. We want to serve you more. Tell your friends about us. Subscribe to this podcast. We hope to see you next Wednesday. This is Keith Crosby with Mark Stickler, out of my mind, saying God bless you and God keep you.